Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. A solo episode coming at you with some thoughts that I've had and some experiences that I wanted to share. Um, before I do that, though, if I can please ask the greatest favor to go subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it and leave a written review and a five-star review. That is so helpful. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions, questions that determine if someone wants what you want what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second... I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So I recently had a friend send me a message and some communications that he'd had with his father, and I was really touched by them. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm blessed to have grown up in a family where my father is an incredible communicator, emotionally intelligent, and my mother as well. And so there was a lot of framing and, and modeling that he did for me and, and that they both did for me. But I think the special blessing is that he emulated a different version of a man, a more broad definition of masculinity and so rare in that generation, you know, my father's in his 70s. So, you know, he was, we did have the provider role. He went to work and, and my mom also, uh, she stayed home for the early part of our childhood and she's an incredible linguist. She knows so many languages and uh, 
taught Spanish and linguistics and she went back to university to do her master's, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I saw sort of all these different models that were outside of the paradigm yet um, still holding on to some of the structures. And my father was divorced before he met my mother and my sister was um, born to his previous wife. And so I was raised with my sister as just part of our family. I never thought of her not being my sister. I never even thought of like half. That didn't make sense to me. That never even ran through my mind. It was just a, really just a, um, a, a detail that didn't weigh or it didn't get any weight. And, and so there's some things that are implicitly taught just through that, you know, my, think about that, right? Like we receive explicit and implicit messages when we grow up. And what these do is they become the programs in our unconscious or subconscious of how the world works. And so we might, you know, you might hear your, your parents say, oh, can you believe it? Aunt Teresa got divorced. That's an implicit message that we shouldn't get divorced or will be the subject of ridicule, shame, and gossiping. Now, explicitly, that would be something from your religion or your church or your family that says, never get divorced, right? That's just an explicit message. So implicit is what we see and observe what happens and consequences to people. So ultimately, and when we look at some of the thoughts and research on the unconscious mind, it's that it, it about 99, 95 to 99% of what you do is determined based on your subconscious slash unconscious. And so that means, so you could basically think about the messages you receive that are both explicit and implicit become the rules that you think about how life works. They become narratives. So where you hear never get divorced, that becomes an internal dialogue of don't ever let your relationship fail. Or it might even go to never get married because all marriages end in divorce and I don't want to be shamed like, you know, depending on what you observe. Again, this is your own personal experience and it's going to be a combination of things from your religion, your culture, your family and media. What does it mean to be a man or a woman or anything in between, right? Like this type of, and it's up to you to, you know, I encourage you to grab a pen and, and write down in the context of relationship, what were you taught about? gender roles, money, following your purpose, sex, um, education, extracurricular activities. Go through those categories and write down, what was I taught? What did I see? What did I observe? Communication, did it, it when someone was open and speaking, did it end in anger and abuse and hurt? And that way, you can know why when you get to the edge of communication, when you get to the edge of this place where you know that it is healthy to say something, but you don't, there's likely an unconscious message going on below that, a program. And so you have to think that your mind is so powerful and it has programs that are running, those narratives become programs. So think of your mind like a computer. And so some of these programs are great, like how to be open and how to communicate and how to walk and how to talk and all those different things, right? How to use language. Those are all great things. But they're not, when there's unhealthy programs running in that, it's not helpful, right? It, it causes more, you can tell when the results you're getting in your life and are different than what you say you want, you know that there's an unconscious belief slash narrative in the works. When your 
say you want a beautiful, fulfilling, loving relationship and you're picking anything but that, you know that there's an unconscious belief living below that. And so, you know, if you believe that all relationships end in divorce and pain, then you're just going to pick relationships that don't work and you're also going to likely end your relationship, self-sabotage, all that kind of stuff because you don't believe it can make it way through. So what happens is, is an un when you take a message that is living in the unconscious, it creates your story. And these are also rules that you'll live by, you know, like things like all men are cheaters, right? All these different beliefs that occur that hold us back, that cause us to keep living in the same story because this is how humans work. We, we believe that when someone tells us something, that it's just true. That's how the world works, you know? So when you want to pursue your passions and your dreams and someone says, you can't make money doing that, you go, oh yeah, I can't make money doing that. And so you never do it. And so you have all these things that are living below that are likely holding you back from your full expression. And now granted, there are some very real realities. I'm not going to lie to you, you know? I'm not going to make it sound like it's all fucking fluffy puppy dogs and ice cream because it's not. You know, like sometimes when you claim what is true for you, you lose people around you who still adhere to that truth. When you shatter the devotion to an unconscious message like um, the man's always right or, you know, anything like that, all these patriarchal messages we've received, all these systems, you need to be a good girl or a good boy or any of those. When you start to not be and you start to step out of line, but really into your fucking power. That's when the people around you who saw, they knew that that message was fucking bullshit, but they were too scared to break it. This is why, you know, I've said this before. My work in the world, my is always evolving, but it is, I don't tell people what is the right thing to do or what they, I don't care what your relationship outcome is. Like, I don't care whether you choose to stay together or get divorced because as soon as I make a relationship outcome be the reason I say something or, or have a thought on something, then I am biased towards what I want your outcome to be. All I want for you and for me is to be more rooted and connected in my truth. That's it. For you to live a fulfilling expressed life where you are free to be yourself. But in a world that celebrates suppression, repression, silence, not rocking the boat, that's an act of rebellion. And it's a scary one. It is. I know that. I get it. But what's so fascinating is that we, we live in the system, in the role, in the, in the right way of being. We live in it. We don't question it. And we feel trapped. Yet we're only trapped to what the rules have been made. It's not a real trap. You know, it's not like we're actually in a literal prison. We are living in walls we've agreed to have around us. We're living in suppression we've agreed to. You know, every time you go to share your voice and you don't, you adhere to a system. You keep the system alive. Every time you don't fully expand, fully express you keep the system alive. And this isn't to blame. This is responsibility. This is to say, let's do this together. Let's do this together. And so this was all sparked from a really beautiful 
communication that I read from my friend who is Chinese Canadian. And we've had lots of conversations about, you know, the cultural messages in many different cultures, but in Asian culture for men. And he's expressed a lot of, to me, he's a very emotionally aware, communicative man. And that is in conflict slash rebellion with the agreements that Asian men, and this is me speaking to what I understand from what I've heard. So I'm not trying to say I get it because I'm not Asian, but the suppression of emotion and stoicism. And I read this beautiful exchange between him and his father. And what's interesting is when we believe that a person can't hold a conversation or is they're not emotional. They don't have emotion. They don't know how to do this. They're this, right? We, we like come up with the thing. Like, you know, it, for example, it could be like, well, he's an older man. He can't have that conversation, right? We say these things about our fathers, our grandfathers. And we might even say these about our friends and our, um, we might even say this about ourselves, right? I'm just not a good communicator which instantly gives you permission to not be one. I just want to point that out. But if you prefaced with the identity, I am a good communicator, then what would that demand of you? It would demand that you have to show up. So it shows you how the words you use about your own self, your beliefs, and your identity become a prison of a role that you have agreed to play. All humans are emotional. If you're male and you're listening to this or you identify as male and you think that you're not, I have a lesson. I have a message for you. You're fucking emotional. You're very emotional, but you've only been taught that you can be angry or experience moderate joy. And anger is usually seen as aggression. So you're, you're likely not even connected to healthy anger because you have so many other feelings that are suppressed. Dying to be seen. I know that feeling. Dying to be seen. Dying to ex be expressed. And so often men pivot to two edges of the archetype. This could be true for any human. I'm just speaking in the context of this is we're either overexpressed and angry. And that's the only way we know how to maintain control and, and not have too much of a rocky world around us that we try to over control things and we're reactive and we have aggression. And on the other end, we're so afraid because we've been, a lot of us have been raised in the feminist movement, which is a good thing, you know, for the most part. In, and what I mean by that is when messages aren't curated for a young child to observe, then they determine what the message means for them. So, for example, and what I mean by that is when I was growing up, I grew up with for sure a feminist mother, and it was about equality and all those things, which was so beautiful. But I also grew up listening to media that said men are rapists, men are angry, men are abusers, men are murderers, and men are bad at communicating. Men. So the general narrative I heard about men is they're the problem, which I'm sure on some level we could argue that that is true, at least unintegrated, what you might call toxic masculinity. Um, that word in and itself uh, creates shame. So, uh, you know, we in using that word, we shut down the ability for the listener to actually hear anything. And it's a way of also shaming. And, and it doesn't mean it's untrue. I just would rather use the term immature or unintegrated masculine or unexpressed. 
And that way, what we can see is that there is a, a vast array of masculinity available to us. Your masculinity is not determined by your emotionality. You know, those two things live in very different places. And so the other extreme that a man can be at is that he becomes overtly emotional and is afraid. And we might see this man as the nice guy, too nice, right? Because he spends his time trying to please and being too nice and doesn't have boundaries. And that's because he's so generally so afraid of being controlling, angry, and a murderer and a rapist that he's doesn't doesn't have access to boundaries because he's afraid that they're controlling. And I'm speaking from my own experience growing up that I was really afraid of like saying no and and being like, that's not okay that you did that because I didn't want to offend. I didn't want to be, I wanted to please. And that can come both from a family experience growing up and it can also come from the culture and media and all those things. And so it was really beautiful to see that that exchange occur where he shared his emotional experience with his father and his father wrote back and was vulnerable with him and expressed what he'd been through and how he was sorry and, and sad that he couldn't show up better. And what I loved about this exchange is that it reminded me, and I wanted to remind you, that vulnerability and having a hard conversation, when we believe that the other person can't have it, we start to resent them and we get angry with them because we blame them for our inability to be heard and expressed. And that can be real, right? Because they could have had consequences and da da da. I'm not dismissing that. But what I want you to see is that every time you adhere to that rule, you suppress yourself. So the fear, if I express myself, they're going to reject or abandon me or not accept my vulnerability in that experience you will experience your own rejection of self and your own self-expression. So then you live in a life of rejection. And what you'll likely find is you'll find people who you blame for not being able to communicate. But what's happened is it provides a reason for you not to self-express so you don't make that courageous act. And of course, this is a hyper, hyper, hyper level of responsibility, of self-responsibility that says, when are you going to be done being suppressed by the messages and stories that you have agreed to that were very real? But at some point, you're not a child anymore. At some point, you're an adult and you're going to have to have hard conversations and they're not going to be fun and you're going to have to change the paradigm of what communication means to you. If I asked a thousand people what is the most important quality in successful relationships? 991 would say communication, generally. But yet we know that and we don't become master communicators. Master communicators. It's a skill set. It is not a birth. It's not a birthright. It's not something that you just are naturally born as talented. Sure, some of us have a leg up because we're born into families that embrace that, that invite that. But I still saw patterns of like criticism and shutting down and all those things. I used to shut down. I used to stonewall and shut down and withdraw 
I mean, if you heard my episode with my first girlfriend from grade nine, we broke up after dating for a week. I know it's a significant relationship, but it was because it was the first time I really experienced rejection. I didn't talk to her for a year and a half. I was so shut down, so angry, so so sad, so so much sadness that I didn't dare want to be seen at how much it had impacted me. I couldn't open my throat and speak the words I wanted to say. That I was angry, that I felt let on, that I felt, you know, all these different things. It took conscious, deliberate work where I said that I want to be better than this. My relationship outcomes and my ability to have connective, loving communication in relationships, that's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. My ability to have connective, loving relationships, that is my responsibility. And I realized that, you know, like before where I blamed someone else for the reason I couldn't speak, it was never about them. And if it was about them, then what am I doing keeping a relationship with someone desperately wanting to them to hear me when they just fucking can't? But what I love is when you take the courageous leap, when you say the words, when you say, I miss you, when you say, this is hard, when you say, I feel lost with you, I miss us. We need to work on us. I want us to be better. Or this doesn't work. I'm not happy. We have been going at this. I've asked you this time and time again, and I need us to change. I need us to. And if you can't, that's okay, but I'm going. All of these lead to a greater bridge of connection, to see the invitation, to say to someone, hey, this is what I've experienced from you, and I'm sorry that I've had expectations of you, and I've blamed you and resented you when it was the belief I had about you. I never gave you a chance to show up. When we blame them for our lack of self-expression, and don't get me wrong, there are cases where you do get to blame them. But also, remember when you have expectations of someone and you're let down, but you never communicated your expectations, that's on you. When you're waiting for someone else to finally see you and show up for you and communicate with you and do all the things, stop subcontracting your healing to other people. I see so much in relationship where one partner starts after, you know, 10 years of being together or whatever, and they realize, not consciously, but just through feeling like they're in a prison, that they've never pursued their own dreams. They don't, when did they lose themselves? All these things, they blame the relationship. But the relationship in and of itself is a container that's created by two people. So when you're going to change the container of the relationship, you're going to change the system and how it works because all human relationships operate in systems. No energy is lost in gain, you know, like that's how the universe works. And what happens is, is one person starts to pursue their passions and their dreams, and it often scares the other person, this person's going to grow away from me. And they might. But I'll tell you this right now. If your partner is inviting you to do things, to read a book, to go to therapy, to, to, to go on dates, to have conversations, and you're not accepting that invitation you might lose them. You likely will at some point. It might not be now, but I'll tell you this. 
when their bags are packed, it's too late because they're already gone. And we miss so many of the subtle and not so subtle invitations. But make sure your invitations are loving and make sure that you're not just blaming the other person. And also, if you're in an abusive pattern, I often see people take messages like the one I'm sharing and say, oh, I have to do more work. It's on me. It's on me. If you're in that pattern, go seek help. Seek help now. This is not a message to justify staying in the pattern of trying to save an addict or an abuser or anything like that. Call and get support. Call and get support now. But for the people who are in serial relationships, serial, the same fight over and over again, it's never about the same thing. It's about what's below the thing. Get to the thing below. Accept the invitation. Relationships are the fastest way that you can get to know yourself. They, everything that you struggle with in relationship is an invitation to some form of healing, some form of expansion, some form of growth. And it's up to you to accept it. That's it. It's up to you to accept that invitation. There is no option. Because if you fall asleep or you pretend you're asleep or you pretend you didn't hear or you pretend you didn't know, you can't. That becomes, you know, what do they say? Uh, molehill becomes a mountain or a mountain into a molehill. Whatever the term is. Shit gets big. You sweep shit under the carpet, you trip on the carpet eventually. And so what I love about what I observe is that when you lay the foundation for vulnerability and openness and you build the bridge and you open the door from the prison that you are living in, what it does is it shows a light and a path and a door to the other person who might never have seen it, might never have known there's a way out. And they might have been waiting for someone to finally say, I see you. I see you and I love you. And this is going on for me. And this is what I hope for us. Sometimes that's the light someone needs. And sometimes that's the door out. And sometimes that's actually just the bridge between. As I've said before, your choices in your life and where you end up and the outcomes you get, you know, it doesn't matter to me what you choose. It only matters to me that you show up as the best version of yourself. And at the end of the day, we think like if I have this conversation then they'll love what I'm about to say. If, if I do this, then our relationship's going to get better. If I do this, so we attach an outcome to the courageous act. And if the outcome doesn't get met, we think the courageous act was all for nothing. But this is, I, I need to remind you all the time that the victory is always in the process, not the outcome. It's in the courageous act that you have shown up, that you have demonstrated that you are here and you're not here to fuck around, that you're ready to eat everything on your plate and you're claiming this life that is yours. You're claiming this way you want to be. You know, and I was reminded of this thought that we ask questions like, what should I say? How should I do this? What should I choose? But we forget to ask, how should I be? Live to the level of what you demand from others. Be everything that you want. Show up as the best version of you. Don't leave anything on the table. This life is fleeting. Moments are fleeting. Love feels fleeting when we place it in the outcomes that we get. 
But to eat everything, to have all those hard conversations, that is to be love. That is to be it. And that's to be unconditional love. That I love you no matter what. And remember, unconditional love does not mean unconditional tolerance. You can be compassionate and loving towards someone and say no more. And that is my PSA of the week. Sending you lots of love. <laughs>